Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. These panels have been made possible thanks to Double Exposure and their game design convention Metatopia at Metatopia Online 2020. These panels have also been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and moderators at this event. Now, let's get to it. Episode 311, New Editions, Revise, Release, Repeat, presented by Russell Collins, Brennan Taylor, McGay Baker, and Greg Stolze. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to your, uh, your Metatopia panel new editions, release, revise, repeat. Uh, my name's uh, Russell Collins. I put together this idea for a panel because it's a repeat of a panel I did a while ago. So it's a, a new edition of a panel discussion on new editions. Um, I'm going to ask everyone to introduce themselves before we get into our topic. So Meg, please let everyone know who you are. Hi, I'm McGay Baker, and uh, I co-wrote Apocalypse World with Vincent Baker and uh, brought Cyron to its wider uh, release, and second editions are something I'm very intrigued by. So, um, yeah, glad to be here. Thanks for putting this panel together. Oh, thank you. Okay. Brennan, why don't you uh, introduce yourself? Greg, I see you. You want to go next? Oh, okay. Sorry, a bit of a delay. We're <laughs> balancing it. Sorry, Greg. Please. Do I go have ahead. to fight Brendan for this? Because I will. Uh, <laughs> uh, my name is Greg Stolze. Um, my most recent new edition is uh, the uh, second edition of Rain is in process. I've also, uh, within living memory, put out a third edition of Unknown Armies, for which I was the developer. Uh, and so, yeah, I've, I've done my time in the edition trenches. Uh, so Brendan. All right. I'm, I'm Brendan Taylor. Um, and I have revised, uh, my game Bulldogs three times, uh, in the process of revising it the third time, I should say, um, and I put out a revised edition of Mortal Coil, which is another game I published. So uh, I have done some of that as well. Very good, very good. Yeah, um, so I'm Russell Collins. I um, I only really have the one game out there uh, called Tears of a Machine, giant robots, crying teenagers, that kind of thing. Um, and uh, I... You know, I'm in the process of creating the second edition. I actually first put this panel together when I was saying, should I do a new edition? And now that I'm most of the way through that new edition, I figured we should we should have this this conversation again so I can make sure I, I, I'm on the right track. Um, so the first subject I kind of want to get out there is um, just sort of the, the question of why to make a new edition of the game. So I guess we'll just go around and we'll each sort of uh, explain why. <laughs> we would go about doing that um let's keep that that same order so meg uh you can uh kick things off for us okay um 
Cool. Thanks. Uh, I think making second editions is part of the iterative process of game design period that you make something to the best of your ability and then edit and revise and edit and revise. And at some point you decide this is as done as I can make it right now and you uh, publish it. And the process of then watching that game in play, playing at conventions, you know, seeing how it works in the real world eventually reveals places of, is this, is this what I want? Does this really fulfill my vision? Uh, or can I clarify things, revise things, smooth edges off that I maybe not, you know, that I didn't maybe catch the first time around, no matter how many editing passes it went through or how many revisions it went through, there's always room. Um, and I think for me, the big reason too uh, is in that space of when you realize, wait a minute, you know, the, the piece that I'm doing here is not functioning. This gear functioned well enough, but now I can make this gear work better uh, and improve the, the improve that I want to uh, encourage and the conversations I want to have around this game. And that's that for me is the, the answer to the question of when to do a second edition, when to revise, is if you have if you can clearly see places to improve on the, the prior art. And uh, if the, the real key for me is if I handed someone a copy of the game as it's out there available right now, and I handed them a copy of whatever current revisions I have, are those the same game? Are they identical? Are they having exactly the same experience? Or are pieces that are that will result in a different a different um, experience? And if the answer is it's a little different, I'm going to do a second edition. Greg. Okay. Um, I see there are two reasons to that you would want to do a second edition, and there is the crass financial reason. Uh, you know, if you printed up a thousand copies of your first edition and they've all sold out and people still want to buy them, that is one reason you might want to do a second edition. And the other reason uh, is what McGay, am I pronouncing that right? Uh, is, is uh, yes. you know, the, the artistic or design reason is I want to make some significant change that I feel will be a real improvement. And really, you might not want to do a whole full-on second edition until it's both. Um, if you put out an artistic improvement before you've sold through your first one, you're going to wind up with this raft of dead stock that can't sell because nobody wants to buy first edition when there's a shiny new second edition. If you have a, a game where you're like, oh, this is... I like where this is at. I don't think I need to change and improve anything. You may be better off just doing a second printing and having a, uh, you know, not having to put in all the development costs. Uh, something also I'd, I'd like to, to build on the previous statement about artistic uh, change is that does not necessarily have to be in terms of the rules. 
the Rain Second Edition has pretty much the same rules and text as the first one. We just organized it much better and incorporated a bunch of supplemental material into an organized way so that you get uh, sort of a, a lot of stuff that was scattered all over the place is now organized and accessible and it's going to have better art because the art in the original supplements was extremely marginally done and that's on me um so i i feel that it is as an artistic product at a much higher level even though i haven't changed a lot of what many people would consider the core content so it's the same but better um as as opposed to unknown armies where unknown armies seems to be so much in some ways a a, a product of its time every time that every edition has a mm -hmm. very different feel and it's not just mechanical it's sort of the tone of the text too so with those new editions we're really ones where we're like okay let's see how much we can burn down to the studs and rebuild uh, which is, you know, it's an exciting way to uh, do a new edition. It's it's labor intensive, but you definitely get something where it's, you know, people are not going to look at the second edition and say, this is just the first edition with a new lick of paint. Brendan? So, yeah, there's a number of reasons that I've revised personally, and I think they match pretty closely with what the other panelists are saying. Um, with Mortal Coil, when I did a revision of that, there were people who were complaining that it was difficult to understand and to, to play. And so I expanded it with a whole bunch of supplementary material and uh, rules explications that made it a little more accessible. And I think that, um, you know, one of the things that I did with that was I went ahead and released the expanded uh, sections for free to people who had already bought the game. So I didn't have that crass commercial uh, <laughs> uh, attempt there. But I will say that all of my Bulldogs editions have been very crass and commercial. So, you know. <laughs> Look at Brendan over here leaving <laughs> money on the table. Exactly. But no, it, when, I, when I did Bulldogs, I started it out as a D20 game. And then that fad disappeared so uh i wanted to revise it for a new uh new audience and fate had come along at that point and fate is a game that i really enjoy so i had a lot of fun adapting it to that um and then my fans kept asking me when a fate core version was going to come out so there's no reason not to uh not to indulge them in that case <laughs> excellent excellent Ah, so yeah, uh, my turn. Uh, I kind of, I'm kind of the, the small fish in the big pond here, so it's a little, little nerve making. Uh, but the, uh, uh, you know, the, the first edition of Tears of Machine, like you know, did well enough. It got out there. I made my Kickstarter goals. I kind of had my little core audience. I had people who wanted to run it for me, so that was. Nice. Uh, but I think um, mm -hmm. one of the things that kind of motivated me to say that I could go back and, and work on this was actually another game project that I had started work on. Um, I have tried to sort of devote a lot of my attention in game design toward accessibility. Um, 
But at the time that I did that for Tears of a Machine, it was kind of a very limited way where I was like, I'm going to make an audiobook version of this, and I'm going to create synchronized text. I'm going to put it out there for free so that dyslexic, you know, kids can just, you know, can, can listen to the book and hop around. I was like, that, that'll be nice. But then I realized that's, that's not enough. I wanted to try and build something a little more from the ground up with those ideas in mind, like as little math as possible, getting uh, uh, stuff that's down so that it's quicker to, to memorize or, or, or so on. Um, and that was going to be a game about some, you know, some teenage kids in a weird town in the middle of nowhere because I had just watched Stranger Things. But so had every other game designer in the United States and probably internationally. So I said, I'm not going to make this. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to find a different setting for this. And, uh, and my brilliant wife said, hey, you know, you could probably use this new revised rule set with your giant robot game. And I was like, you know, you're right. You're right. This is exactly what has to happen. And that's why there needed to be a second edition. Yeah, exactly. That's why there needed to be a second edition, because I had these rules that I love. I have these concepts that I thought should come into it. And then I have this world already there. So let's put it together. And that's why that that's where that second edition is, is coming from. So I guess that the next subject I had put on our, our agenda was really to talk a bit about uh, the how of what goes into making that. I think we've touched on that a little bit, but maybe to sort of break it out a little bit, like assessing what you should change, how do you create that new content? And then what do you do that's different in order to get that next edition out there? You know, is there a different approach to publishing and so on that you would take? Meg, uh, do you want to kick us off with that subject? Yeah. Yeah, I think um, the things that I look for most closely in that is, Am I running it, am I a game at conventions the way it's written in the book? And if I'm not, why not? You know, because there's a lot of times where, you know, they'll, I'll be running a game that, you know, Thousand One Nights came out 14 years ago. And I have to go back and go like, okay, how did I do this rule? And some of it is just maybe I haven't played it in a while. But some of it is also if there's places where I have changed, like my style of GMing, or you know, if I have learned a little way to make things easier, um, that's a huge key for me of the how of you know if if I have found ways to say what I'm trying to say better. Um, just paying attention to how I'm running games and listening to how other people are running my games and listening to AP and reading play reports and things like that um, to look at how is this actually working. Um, and then a lot of breaking it down. I really liked um, what Greg said about taking it down to the studs and building back up again. Because sometimes that can really be effective, you know, and it's similar to what Russell just touched on with, um, you know, I have this new idea and does it actually marry beautifully with an existing game and give a new, a whole new idea, uh, a whole new expression of that game. Because once you've made a thing, it can be easier to tear it apart and look at the, the pieces um, because you know how they all fit together. So you know where you can take one out and like move it around and see if it has a different a different facet. So that's another piece of the how. Um, and it's like Brennan said with, you know, what if I did look at this through a different system? You know, how how would this 
work if I adapted it to a different uh, format. And right now, of course, uh, my whole thing in 2020, besides you know, working on Under Hollow Hills, is um, looking at adapting games for play online. You know, how could I possibly play playing Nature's Year games online? You know, what what does that look like? Um, and I love what you said, Russell, about accessibility, because that's another piece where it's extremely valid um, to look at things of how can I make this more accessible? How can I make this more approachable? How can I make this um, a better fulfillment of my vision? And without it being necessarily an entirely new game, without it being, you know, a massive rewrite of the rules, but just like, here's a little more. Um, and I want to do that with Cy Rodden right now. Like this is a big part of 2020 uh, is I'd like to do an ad another edition, a third edition of Cy Run, my second edition, but you know, credit to the ash can that came out prior. Um, and you know, I, I really want to do some stuff that deals with memory loss in there, but I don't want it to be its own game. It, it, it is a whole, it's a second companion slant Siren. I'm writing. Um, it's kind of heavier subject matter than superheroes with accidental amnesia to deal with actual memory loss and, you know, what that is in terms of Alzheimer's, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that's part of the how, like, thank God I have a game that I can look at the pieces of and take bits out and say, okay, how does this work? How do I rotate, fold, mutilate, or spindle? And we'll put that back in. Um, yeah, that's my answer. Um, Go, Greg. My, my approach, uh, well, my approach with Rain was that there was a lot of stuff that I didn't like about how I'd done it when I'd done it as a one-man show and getting a proper publisher to work on it. I'm like, oh, this is great because he can do the things he's good at and leave me to do the things I'm good at instead of me having to do things that I'm only kind of so-so at, which is you know, that that's what, that's what you want to get out of a publisher is having them do the tasks that you don't, that you're not really, as a writer or a designer, necessarily good at. I mean, there are people who are triple threats and can do it all, but uh, they're pretty rare. Um, what I would specifically say with Unknown Armies, uh, there, was, there was a period of time where every now and again, someone would say to me, when are you going to do some more Unknown Armies stuff? And I'd say, I don't have anything. I don't have an idea that I think is really great and captivating and I don't want to just churn something out for the sake of doing it because I think a lot of uh, you know a lot of uh, Unknown Army stuff was a, a product of passion and I don't want to suddenly get passionless uh, and the solution I came to for this sort of uh, dry spell was I'm like well what if I stopped being quite as much of a control freak and brought in some fresh new people who are fired up and excited and see their takes. And it worked really well. Um, I assembled a, a uh, Cam Banks and I assembled a team for Unknown Armies Third, 
where it was, you know, people who are like, I really, really want to work on this. I'm very fired up about it. And I'm like, okay, hit me with your crazy ideas. Um, I mean, and sometimes it's heartbreaking because you will get people. It was very strange for me to get people who are like, I really, really want to work on this. I want to work on this so bad. Please, please, please. And then turned in nothing, just literally nothing. So that's the, that's sort of the downside is that, you know, if you bring in a bunch of new people, you will get a lot of inspiration, but you will also have the problem of trying to herd the cats. And so, uh, you know, you give a little, you get a little. And on balance, I feel like the, the final product speaks for itself and that we got a ton of great content, but it was not always a um, perfectly frictionless process. So yeah, uh, that, that would be my advice on how to do a second uh, edition or a third edition is get help. Yeah, um, and that's one I did on my Bulldogs editions is I collaborated and that was something that was really useful and fruitful for getting new perspective on the same work, right? Uh, having outside people come in and help you uh, really makes, uh, it, it takes, it keeps it from retreading the same ground. You know what I mean? It, it helps you take a step forward in the, uh, in the design and the, um, the general, yeah, go ahead. Well, and the, the thought that immediately occurs to me hearing that is, but you wouldn't be able to do that if the ground hadn't already kind of been tra trodden upon and packed down. Oh, absolutely. Right. It's people, people who, yeah. Once you established what the Bulldogs vibe was, other people can come along and spark off of that. But if you just started a first edition right. with a bunch of crazy freelancers, you would no idea what you'd get. Right. Probably still something cool, but... <laughs> but it would be something completely different oh, than probably what I very cool. It yeah. just Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah, working with people can be really fruitful. But again, yeah, you're, that it's the difference between being a solo act and a band. Uh, when you're in a band, everybody's influencing everybody else. And when you're a solo act, you have a lot more creative control over what's coming out. But I feel like uh, having people that you then join and invite in to join in to work on the, uh, the, the stuff that you came up with originally really grows it in a way that you wouldn't have been able to by yourself. So for sure, for sure. That's interesting. I think that uh, if anything, that's a place where I kind of feel I am lacking with the, the new edition. Um, partially just because I, I'm looking at the things that I left out of the first one, just in, in the production of it. I mean, there are things that <clears throat> there are things that I know I want to change. Most of the, the, the content is fine, but there are things I want to change about stuff like language. Uh, I, nobody really said anything about sensitivity readers to me back in 2013. And I know now that's, I need to want to have that in there. You know, um, I would like to have more editing happen. I, I need more people to do that. Um, the bones of it are still kind of my little magical invention. So I think most of that's going to come down to me trying to get other people to, to edit what I'm thinking. But I feel like collaboration is a little more difficult when it's something that is so new to me as it is to other people. Um, yeah. But, 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 yeah. 
Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Can I spin off that? Um, I feel like what you've just laid out is a really a a good illustration of when to new when to do a new edition, you know, and that that is another great and valid way a reason to do a new edition. We're like, okay, the bones are good, it's my work, and I'm pleased with it, but I've realized a place where I would like to do it a little better, and that's that's fabulous you know why not and it's not saying that it needs to have a lot of collaborative work or a lot of like new anything but anytime where you're like i could this could be better and here is how and here is why great go for it do it you know great uh, yeah, and uh, springboarding off of that, I mean, part of it, part of the reason that new editions are good ideas can be that gaming has changed, and part of it can be that you have changed. And, you know, it's it's going to be both. I mean, I'm, I write better now that I, I fancy that I have skills now that I lacked in 1996. Uh, I mean, and and there was when I was was revising Unknown Armies for third edition. Uh, when we were revising from first to second, there was what I think of as the Chad Undercoffler point, where we'd you know kind of gotten our draft together and we're showing it to people, and he's like, "Oh, you know what would be really cool would be if you arranged it this way because it would be more clear." And John and I just sort of went. Yes, that would be much more clear. <laughs> Obviously, that's the way we should have built it from the start. <laughs> and similarly, yeah. similarly coming into third edition, I'm like, okay, let's look at this medium crunchy rules set that I've done and see what I'm like, what are the parts that people talk about? And what are the parts that people don't talk about? You know, what are the parts when people get fired up and they're like, oh, and then this happened to my character. What what are those parts? And I'm like, can we make it so it's only those parts? Uh, and so, yeah, I, you know, current day Greg looked back on earlier Greg and is like, well, that's good. But you know what? If you actually pull these parts out, it's going to run faster and cleaner. How about mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. So, so it's always kind of a uh, equal parts painful and delightful process of seeing your own design get a little get a little better. Yeah, and thinking, why didn't I do that in the first place? Well, I think you ha- I think you nailed though. I think part of it is that you <laughs> didn't have the skills. You know, I, I'm I am reminded very strongly of places where I've been involved in other creative projects in specific uh, digital art, where there's a common thread where you have here's what I did, and here's revised, and here's revised, and it's the same exact thing as you learn your craft better. You know, and they can, they wind up just being amazing. Um, And I think that's an incredibly important and valid and part of why to do second editions and also a piece in there is the awareness of when you're looking at a second edition and when you're looking at a different game because you also don't mm. want to wind up in the in the trap of just like 
revising it away from like, oh, well, I'll just keep revising the same game into, you know, this slightly different, 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 because it is also really important to give each game its own expression, you know, as uh, an awareness, which comes with learning craft, um, which comes with deal of doing game design, whichever piece that is, uh, and saying, this is a different project. Sometimes you wind up thinking you're doing a revision and surprise you're doing a different game, you know, burned over kind of happened that way a little bit of like, what if we did this uh, apocalypse world, but we needed, we need a different, we need a different edition, a different version. Oh, Hey, it's a whole different game. <laughs> Surprise! So, yeah, peace. Yeah. I think one of the things, just sort of like what's, um, seeing how my approach has changed. I mean, I mentioned the idea of wanting it to be more accessible, but I think also what I've seen in the way that people are consuming games, I kind of want to be in the, in on the ground floor of things like the video tutorial, the online version of you know of the rule book the, the wiki or whatever because i i had i feel like that's become more and more a part of you know when you release your game that supplemental material isn't quite as optional as it once was especially if you want the biggest the biggest audience and i think that's another reason why i've said to myself i wanted to put that stuff out there wanted to get that stuff in the world but it didn't feel like it belonged to that first edition, which was already out there for so long. And when, as I said, I'm making the new edition, that's, you know, there's the checklist there. And on the checklist is electronic version of this, you know, print version of this, uh, website version of this series of video demonstrations, hopefully hosted by someone, not me, with a good background and a good radio voice and well edited, please Kickstarter, give me money, you know, and uh, <laughs> and that'll be a way to kind of make it so it's a more complete product overall as it becomes a new edition. Cool. Well, that is a very, this is, this sort of plays back into the idea that, you know, the gaming community is not the same as it was in the late 90s, early 2000s when I was coming up. And the gaming marketplace is not the same. And the way that games get paid for is not the same. I mean, this is, mm. this is, Brendan probably is old enough to remember when people would take out second mortgages on their house to print 4,000 copies of their fantasy heartbreaker. And then it would just sit in yeah. their basement in I, silent reproach every time I, I, I they blew a fuse. I don't just remember that. I actually did that. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, I, didn't mean, I didn't mean to put my finger on a painful scar there, buddy. <laughs> Luckily, it wasn't a mortgage on my house, but <laughs> mm. I did pulp a lot of books. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, and, and I, the whole thing behind my my you know drive towards crowdfunding was i'm like man there has just got to be a better way to handle this risk yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah you were and, kind of and now now that, we're in a place so. yes yeah anyway go ahead meg brendan do you want to take that for a bit brendan because you've been quiet for a little bit oh that's okay 
I think we're getting off topic, actually. <laughs> oh, a little. That's okay. I mean, that's I part of the joy of this. Like, once you start <laughs> asking people to talk about their second and third editions, <laughs> you're getting into some people who've been around a while. And so, yeah, there is that. Apparently, I need more gray. I don't know. I'm not keeping up. Um, <laughs> Are you ready for questions from the audience? Um, yeah, sure. Let's, uh, what, yeah. what do we... What do we have? So uh, Zofra or Zofra uh, asks, how much of a new addition is about making the game more contemporary? Which I think you guys have kind of touched on, but let's uh, um, drill down in that. I can sort of throw out uh, part of my first idea about that is when I'm thinking about uh, revising it, I'm thinking more about the, the contemporary audience. I mean, I'm not necessarily going to change. Um, I mean, the rule set's going to be its thing. But part of what I was saying about things like... Um, like uh, 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 you know, content editing and uh, sensitivity editing. You know, I, I want to make sure that I'm connecting to the people who are playing games now. And some of that is even decisions about like over the course of 2020, I've decided that even though my game is about space invaders, I'm not going to use the word alien because I don't like all the weird connotations that have been attached to it. They're going to be space invaders, space raiders, space visitors, whatever. I gotta, you know. That, that to me, that's just a sign of the times is that that word is not a thing that I can wrestle with anymore. Um, so, I mean, I guess that's kind of a, a, mm -hmm. a, a, a an example in miniature, maybe, of contemporizing something. Um, yeah, and, and I when I redid Bulldogs, it was a big contemporizing. I mean, obviously, that was quite some time ago now. So uh, I don't know how contemporary it is anymore, but I had updated it from a... Uh, and, and at that point, obsolete system. So uh, into a new one that was just gaining some traction. So I feel like uh, making it fresh for yourself is also something that's really important um, because I my tastes change over time as well. And things that I was really into, I'm not into as much anymore. So it's time to make, you know, if I'm still interested in a game and I'm still working on it, uh, update that to my current tastes. Yeah, I mean, some games require contemporizing more than others. If your game is set in, you yeah. know, the modern world and you wrote it in 2010, it's going to be very dated now. If it's set in a, yeah. uh, you know, medieval-esque fantasy world, well, you, you still want to, you know, maybe take another look and say, are there things that I know about now that I didn't know then? But it's it doesn't have that same kind of uh, glaring urgency. There's a, a setting division that my friends and I like to break down, which is like the era. Is this the smartphone or the pre-smartphone era? <laughs> you know? And there's yep. no, there's no like, you know, iPhone mancy in earlier unknown armies. Maybe we, you know, yeah. maybe, maybe it needs to be in there for a later one. <laughs> well, let me tell you back when I wrote unknown armies, phones were chained to the wall like prisoners. <laughs> yep. <laughs> And I, I kind of have the reverse take as Greg, you know, I feel like, you know, through the lens that Russell indicated, doing something that is, uh, has a medieval flavor, 
or even a historical flavor um, now has to have different consciousness. You know, coming through the last eight years, you know, it, it, it's entirely different um, than what we might have put out in the 1990s. You know, there's there's definitely games all of us may have been involved in to some degree in 1990 that not we're like, no, that, that stays in high school or college or, you know, just out of college sort of zone. That is not something for people to see. Right. Because we're smarter now. You know, and the world has changed. And we're like, oh right, that's that's some really bizarre thinking. And I'm gonna not promote that anymore. And that's that's another reason why to let like, oh, maybe not a new version of that game. Maybe not a second edition. Maybe that's time to just not and do something right. else instead. Mm-hmm. As, yeah, as much as I uh, as much as I adore um, you know my uh, uh, White Wolf games, and as much as I love Onyx Path, I think they've done some great things. It is kind of locked in an era, you know. I don't want to. I'm not trying to badmouth anybody because I mean that's the thing. It it is in an era. It is of time. You you know get into that. That's great. But I mean I'm looking at stuff in Tears of a Machine that kind of embarrasses me now, where I, I'm saying things about you know uh, uh, different religious groups and their response to the appearance of you know, the visitors from space. And how I'm like, that's kind of, a, I'm painting with a broad cloth. That's that's not a, a broad brush. That's not, you know, that's not really fair to these people who I, I might be depicting in here. So there's less of that in the new edition. There's, you know, an a, approach to try and let people fill in more of their own understandings and experiences of of these things. And yeah, you know, that is just because yeah. of that time I was bringing, you know, what I was seeing in the news and that kind of thing. But that's, you know, that's not a universal experience. You, have another, you guys ready for another question then? Oh, yeah. yeah. All right. I think we beat that one pretty hard. I think you guys really did a deep dive for sure. Oh, um, this, one, this one is from Whittle Dragon. Uh, what do you do with a new edition when yeah. someone who actually genuinely helped you with your book in the credits turns out to be problematic? Oof. Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> well, See, that, that, that's when you get to collaborate. Karen, you want to go first, Pat? No, it's okay. I, I think it's worth uh, yeah. <laughs> for one. Can I, I, I wonder in the question, um, the implication in the question is that this is someone who collaborated, someone who worked with you in the first edition, um, and then you're doing a second edition. The question is how to credit them. Stephanie, could you clarify that? Question is, what do you do about they they helped with the first edition, they're in the credits, and somewhere along the way they've come out as problematic. What do you do with your second edition where they did they did help make this game mm. in the first edition? Yeah, um it's tough. Um we are all entering an era where secrets are being sort of revealed and we're having to deal with the fact that someone who was great to me and was nothing but positive and helpful to me may have shown an entirely different side of themselves to 
another group of people. And it's very hard. I mean, the, the only way I'm personally able to process this is saying, well, you know, there aren't good people and bad people. There are people doing good things and people who do bad things. And most of us do some of each. Everyone has done something embarrassing or shameful. And there are some people who have done truly terrible, horrible, awful things. Um, that does not negate the fact that they may have also done very helpful, kind, insightful things. So when you find out that somebody who you worked with is a real dirtbag, you are totally entitled to say, look, I can't work with you anymore because I need to be able to look at myself in the mirror in the morning. Uh, yeah. At the same time, yeah, you kind of got to leave their name in there because people deserve to have their work acknowledged regardless of what other stuff they're doing that is also finally getting acknowledged. I don't know. Maybe this is a, a chump answer yeah. and I'm copping out. It's, but it's very difficult to deal with. We want yeah. it to be a simple, clean binary, and instead it is this muddled range of uh, impressionistic stuff. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's a pain. And you try, of course, to only work with, you know, you try to work with good people, but there are a lot of people I write with that I have never spoken to face to face. I know them only as email and, uh, you know, email addresses and social media posts, and that can hide a lot. Hmm. That's interesting, because you can kind of look at an addition as a place where you could potentially sort of make a make almost a, a clean break in the past, honestly. I'm not saying you necessarily need to mm -hmm. go out and make a new edition of a book because, oh, crap, you know, I <laughs> I need to sort of distance myself, you know. Um, but in a way, there is sort of a, a way there, uh, especially as we said, but the way that the world is changing, people are changing, the audience is changing, and the books are changing. But that might be part of what has to happen when you're assessing a new edition is also looking at who's who's there with me, who's, who's come along, who's... Um, Who's in the same place as me as I approach this new edition of a thing, you know, and is that's probably more the person I want to collaborate than somebody who I can sort of look back and say, well, okay, they did, they did good work back then, but I've grown, have they, you know? So again, th this is purely conjecture on my part, because once again, I'm still a one man shop. So <laughs> Meg, please. I think for me, it's it's for me it's particular because um Siren was originally an Ashcan uh written and designed by Chris Moore and uh I was lucky enough to get a copy of the Ashcan totally loved it talked to Chris extensively about it and encouraged him to pursue finishing it and then you know he had a pass of all little kids and it was not right in his life so I asked if I could finish the game um, and there was a lot of taking it down to studs and redoing it through my vision. You know, there's a, a, the core bits that that were definitely accredited to him. The first edition came out with his name 
uh, with mine. Um, but you know, we haven't, you know, I, I haven't, I literally have not talked with Chris in years because our you know, lives do things and he's not really involved in game design anymore. And if I were to make a second edition, you know, when I come out with a second edition of Cyrun, I will for sure have his name credited in the book because that is, you know, like Greg, Greg said, you give credit where it's due. And there's no bad blood anywhere between Chris and I. We, you know, I, I, I don't, and I never heard a bad thing about him. It's just the piece of give credit for work done. And then if you're making a second edition with those people, as, as Russell and Greg have said, make sure you're collaborating with people you want to be collaborating with. And you don't have to collaborate with them if you don't want to. And give credit, give credit where it's due. It can be in little print in the back and say, yeah. you know, art on page 12 by thus yeah. and such person, you know. Right. But yeah, I, uh, do give credit. It's very important. Yeah, and I, I've... I've I haven't run into this like a hundred percent, but there's definitely some, you know, there's, there's people that have done things that have gotten them pretty well shunned from uh, the community. And I feel like uh, if they had worked on my book, I would still be putting the name in there somewhere. Um, because again, I, I would still give credit. I mean that may hurt you, but I feel like it's it's important. Well, you know, just just include a sharpie marker with the book and just tell my clip. Right. Uh, cross out know. this line on this page and. <laughs> sorry, that's a very trite thing. Yeah, so. <laughs> do we have another another question? We yep. do, we do. Um, also from Whittle Dragon, uh, how do you get folks to buy the new edition, especially if it costs <laughs> more money? Because, for example, the production quality is better, such as hardcover edition, etc. One of you needs to ace this answer for me, okay? Selling point. Selling point. Yeah. Like if you're, you're, yeah, if you're, if your production value has gone up. And you've changed things that are sub substantive about the game of like made it smoother, made it more accessible, you know, put in a, some extra content, and then your production value is higher. Boom, selling point, fine. And frankly, the uh, the places where uh, like the price points for making higher quality items have come down you know a lot of the manufacturing tools of making value books even if it's a saddle stapled zine book which yes love that um the, there's the tools are there um so that that's that's my answer for that like obviously i'm not in the place of saying hey it's a new edition pay me more money but if it's a higher production value, it's higher production value. And I will say, uh, yeah, that people who are fans of your work are going to follow you. Uh, they're gonna they're gonna pick mm -hmm. up your new edition as well uh, because they want to see what yeah. you've done. They want to see the new thing. Uh, if they were fans of the old book, getting them to buy a new edition is that's the easy sell. It's getting the new people who haven't bought your stuff at all to buy it. 
that are that is going to be the harder part. Yeah. Um, yeah. My experience may not be a hundred percent typical, and and it may also you know vary with your goals as a creator and a publisher. But I always wanted, especially with my crowdfunding ventures, I'm like, what I would love is to get a thousand minnows putting in a little bit of money each, and then I get this thing, and it's always whales. It is always carried on the backs of the yeah. people who are like, yeah, I'll pay 60 bucks for a short story. Why would I not? And I'm like, because it's, cause it's a short story. <laughs> But there are the, the shocking development I did not expect coming out of crowdfunding. The shocking advantage is that it allows people to give you more money than you thought they would. Hmm. It's weird, but that's, that's, weird kind of how, it's, that's yeah. it's how it's played out. And, and here's where we find out that... Here's find out that Greg hates money and likes to leave money on the table. <laughs> there, you go. there you go. Well, I mean, it does. I, I feel like there is a risk of, you know, like, oh, well, most of my money is made from putting out expensive prestige products. So I'll do more of those for a smaller and smaller audience who will pay more money for fewer things and that you're sort of approaching, I'm like, at some point, you that bubble's got to burst. You got to hit some kind of event horizon where you just have one fan paying you a thousand dollars for this, you know, bespoke book that's only in one copy. And I <laughs> this, like, this, is the, this is the splat book problem of the 90s, right? You know, where it's like, yeah, it's, no one's buying all those yeah. supplements, but they're making so many of them. Yeah. yeah I mean, and that, I think that was sort of a. Yeah a dancing as fast as you can situation, which is not how you get, I don't, I don't feel that that's how you can get the best work. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, it's a weird balance to try and set where it's like, oh, is it cheap enough that people can just pick this up and be like, hmm, this looks cool. I'll, I'll gamble this amount of money that it's good. It's hard. And the more, oh, the more, uh, the longer you've been in the game, the more you have built up an audience of people who are like, I will buy this because it's from this creator. Uh, and so again, you, you have to decide, okay, do I want to do something that's mostly going to appeal to these people who've been with me and carrying me on their backs for so long, or do I want to try and expand it? And it's, you know, ideally, Hey, let's do both. But in reality, you can't always do both. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you try to you try to have a cheap entry level uh, product, but as much as people say they want those, people don't actually seem to always want those. <laughs> well, a really nice looking thing is gonna is gonna often sell uh, better than something that looks cheap. Uh, even if it is less money. So, you know, uh, I, people like things that are pretty. <laughs> so. They do. They do. That's, that sounds simple, Except but it's actually profound. Yeah. 
it's actually yeah. true. It's actually true. It sounds simple, but it's actually true. And also, like, we we all are old enough to remember when the world changed and suddenly you could get a PDF. You know, yeah. you could publish a PDF and send someone a file. They would send you five bucks for it. And you were like, oh, my God, coffee! You know, because that's amazing. Um, and, like... There's so many wonderful outlets now for here's a little game I made, you know, on itch, Patreon, or drive through, or a ton of things. Like, here's a little game. Go for it. Wow! You know? Um, so, you know, that that's another piece of the, the you know, a piece of the revision pie, right? And a piece of the addition pie is that if you put your game out, on itch for three bucks and then you know six months later you revise it and you're like hey cool new edition everybody who's already bought it you get it for free but now it's five bucks awesome a portion of people who bought it before are going to drop a couple three are going to drop five more dollars for it because they're like awesome cool new content let me pay for that downloadable content, please. Yeah. So there's a whole different piece there. It doesn't always have to be revising the books that we've all, you know, we've all written books that are a couple hundred pages of yeah. here is a giant book. Um, and I think we've all written also little smaller games. Yeah. Time for one more question. Yeah, yeah, I think we have time for one. Great. Uh, Zofra has another question. What is the biggest change you've put into a new edition? <laughs> oh, well, yeah. I mean, my, my, my rule set is entirely different. I mean, it's just like all of that's gone. The setting is left. The setting is being revised. But the entire rule system is, is, is gone. Um, I had a real love for D6s for a while. So I was working on all these ideas. And then uh, I started playing more Fate. And even better, uh, I started uh, um, uh, reading uh, articles and such by Jacob Wood. He's a um, he's a, a sort of a uh, activist for uh, more accessible games, and his writing about how important the fate die is to him and a lot of other gamers with like low visual acuity. And that said to me, I've got to find a system that uses fate dice. And then you know, do I want to use fate? Mm, no, it doesn't quite do exactly what I wanted. So yeah, I mean, a whole new rules set that's I, I've been able, fortunately been able to attach to this world, but all of that, all of those rules, all of that, like you know, figuring and calculating, all that stuff, all that stuff is gone in favor of this idea of like let's let's build something from dice that have been declared accessible and build on up from that. <clears throat> yeah, I started with uh, D twenty, which had classes and levels and hit points and all of that, and I moved to Fate. So, <laughs> which was pretty much an entirely different approach to uh, how you uh, run a session. So I think, uh, you know, it, it's totally cool to take it and completely redo it. Driving the same car with a different engine in it. Yeah. Yeah, clearly I am the stodgy, conservative, <laughs> incremental guy here. I'm like, well, no, I don't... <laughs> I, I, I'm definitely in the if it's not broke, don't fix it camp. Uh, you know, I've made uh, UA3 does not look very much like UA1 
in the particulars, but in the broad outlines, it's like, oh, it's still a percentile game. It's still got this thing where you track your mental trauma. Um, it's, you know, it's still got this thing where you define your own abilities and what they can do. So, I mean, that stuff's all still there. I think it's just implemented in a much more tightly bound together and integrated way. So, yeah, I, I guess I'm not reinventing the wheel every time. <laughs> for me, uh, for me, the biggest change in terms of you know, revisions that are out yet, because the next edition of Cyron is not out yet, um, is the difference between first edition of Thousand One Nights and the second edition of Thousand One Nights. Because the first edition of Thousand One Nights had the complete game. I loved everything about the arm rules and the layout and all the stuff. And when it went into the Italian translation, uh, and then I got the first copy back with Claudia King and my jaw bore, and I emailed her immediately to say, how can I license this art back for a new edition in English? Because this is astonishingly beautiful. And that was literally like nothing else changed about any of the rules or any of that. There's a whole section in the back edition on uh, doing it as a, a LARP. Um, and there's some rules for playing the Sultan because of the LARP. And that's really due to Cat um, uh, Jones and Ed Torner being really into or Evan Torner being really into LARP and saying, you should do this. So I did. But um, that's a where nothing substantial change about the game. There's new content, and the book is freaking gorgeous. <laughs> so that's that. Excellent. Excellent. I don't know. Do we have time for another question, or should we do our wrap-up? Um, Feels like maybe time for the for the wrap up. Yeah, yeah. So let's. We should all go around and plug ourselves and what we're doing okay. now and how should how people should follow us along. So, uh, uh, Meg, why don't you kick that off for us, please? Sweet. Cool. Um, I am Megay Baker. I am the only Megay Baker on the internet. If you Google M E G U E Y Baker, I am the only one. Um, so I'm easy to find. Uh, I'm on Twitter, Night Sky Games, um, and you can find our stuff at lumplygames and things like that. Uh, Vincent and I have a Patreon that uh, is technically because of the way that Patreon is, it's under his name, but new game stuff comes out from me there sometimes and also from Lumpley and Sons, which is our kids and the games working. That freaking mind blowing have these young people who are some like anyway whole nother panel wow um and what i'm working on <laughs> what we're working on now is under hollow hills which is you know trucking along great kickstarter last year and 2020 has been a wild 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 ride um and then the other thing in terms of revision is the new edition of I run that I am actively working on to uh, add new content for that that deals with that may turn into a separate game. And that's one of the things that why I brought that up earlier is because it, it may wind up different enough that it can't just be extra content at the back of the book. Um, so that's what I'm on. Cool. 
You've heard it here. You heard it here first, folks. Greg, uh, would you like to okay. pitch your um, My name is Greg Stolze. Um, recent, most recent second edition is uh, The Rain, uh, which is my, my game of fantasy leadership, where it's like, why are you always the one accepting the quests and doing the hard part? Why aren't you the boss of a bunch of minions who go out and do your bidding? Uh, and so it's it's uh, we're we're in the process of getting that laid out and arted up and sending it to print. It's a little late, but you can still get it on the Kickstarter prices. And I still believe with all my heart that it's going to be gorgeous and wonderful. Um, another game that I recently put out, well, fairly recently, is Termination Shock, a science fiction game that started out with one tone that was, you know, extremely, you know, it was going to be kind of dark and bleak and intense. And when I got into playtesting it with these two guys, they're like, you know what this needs is a big taste of Frasier. And I'm like, what do you mean Frasier? And they're like, you know, the sitcom, Frasier. And they completely changed the tone of the game. And so now... uh Crankshaft Constellation huh. Publishing is putting out Termination Shock with the you know those two guys, me and an artist, and so uh, you can you can get our science fiction game that is half Han Solo and half Niles Crane, and uh, hopefully we'll be uh, putting out more stuff for that in twenty twenty one. Excellent, thanks. Uh, I'm Brennan Taylor. You can find me at uh, GalileoGames.com and uh, on Twitter at, at Brennan, Taylor, Brennan R. Taylor. And uh, the things that I've been working on, I, I've talked a lot about Bulldogs on here, and that's the most recent revision that I've done. And we also have a game coming out shortly called Thousand Arrows, which is set in Warring States era Japan. It is a uh, powered by the Apocalypse game. And uh, that is actually an outgrowth of my fan work of <laughs> of uh, uh, the, uh, powered by the apocalypse, Legend of the Five Rings. <laughs> it no longer resembles that in any way. <laughs> I I remember I was in an early playtest, and you're Woo! right. It has it has grown. It has blossomed. <laughs> it has blossomed. It's, uh, yep. Um, so yes, Russell Collins. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Robot Claw. My website is uh, robotclaw.info because I didn't get the .com. Oh, well. Um, the, yeah, I'm currently working on the second edition of Tears of a Machine, giant robots and the, uh, the emotionally unstable teenagers made to drive them in the, uh, the valiant fight of Earth against uh, invaders from another, another world. Um, so, uh, yeah, thank you all for being on the panel with me. Thank you all to our audience members for those great questions and just for, you know, being there for us. And thank you to our, our, uh, uh, our delightful moderator, Stephanie. And thank you to uh, Andy for, um, you know, being the behind-the-scenes guy, keeping us from all just fizzling out. Um, <laughs> everyone uh, enjoy, the, enjoy the rest of the con. And uh, we yeah, yeah. Hope, to see you. hope to see you again somewhere. <laughs>